It's football and other F-words, and I forgot to tag us in the fucking tweet. So <laughs> make sure, Mike, that you go in there and repost it, re-exit, whatever it is on the 440 Sports uh, Twitter page. But it's football and other F-words, the number one Trevon Wesco podcast in America. We we stand by Trevon. He is what he is, and you guys got to quit making him be something he isn't. And that is going to be w- one of the few things that we talk about today we're going to be talking about the victory over the los angeles chargers at home a thrilling overtime victory because the tennessee titans love playing close games and uh we're going to also preview the disaster that is the browns and what the titans can do which should be fairly easy to beat this team but as we know like we just said the titans love to play in close games We'll be talking about all of that, but I'm joined by Mike Herndon at Mike Herndon NFL on X. I'm Zach Lyons, just because I didn't introduce myself at Pod on X. Uh, our sponsor, Bluegrass Beverages, been around for 50 years. In fact, they're doing all kinds of different celebrations to celebrate being around in business for 50 years, serving the local community in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and the surrounding area. Uh, September 28th. They are going to be doing a whiskey and tequila tasting. It's free. 555 North Main Street in Hendersonville, Tennessee. It's, I think it's a pretty much almost an all-day event. It ends around 4 p.m. Get there. They'll have some food trucks probably as well. They did last time. And if the Roland recipe is there, those guys now listen to the show. Their food is flipping amazing. Like you, I could do a flip over that food. And is awesome. So head over to Bluegrass Beverages, uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, Sister Store, Sinkers Beverages, East Nashville. Mike, the Titans won. And uh, I think we're a little surprised, maybe, that they won. You had them. What was the score? What was the score? I had had to have been really close. I actually meant to go back and and look it up before... uh, the pod, maybe, maybe one of our uh, loyal listeners will remember exactly what I said. I, I do not remember, but it was very close to 27, 24. It was somewhere in that range. It, it, it was, been, it might've been 27, 20, actually, if I'm that remembering is, correctly. That is actually two weeks in a row that, um, you know what? Twitter just screwed us because I did tag us in it and I don't know why they're, they didn't put that up on there either way. That's sorry it. to, sorry to, to, uh, get distracted there for a second but um you're pretty close and you're pretty close week one too so these I, score I predictions you got going on pretty right on the money you're still wrong but hey, <laughs> you're not as wrong as what you usually are yeah i've been i've been pretty dialed in i now i did have the titans winning in a close game close low scoring game against the saints week one so i'm one and one on picking the winners but uh yeah the, the score predictions have been almost dead on Almost dead on. All right. Let's talk about this. Where do you want to start? Because there's a lot of places to start. We can start at the offensive line. We can start with the defense and and how their mean-ass chargers just picked on Trey Avery all game. Uh, (laughs) We could talk about, you know, Kevin Byard kind of is not having a great start to the year. And there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about. So I'm going to let you choose. I normally direct. I'm going to let you choose. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the offense, just because I find that discussion to be the most most interesting right now. All right, let's start with the offense. Let's start with the offensive line. Uh, 
Xavier Newman Johnson or Xavier Newman. I guess he's dropped the Johnson. I don't know. I always like calling him X and J. It's, oh, it's officially really cool. officially listed as just Xavier Newman on the Titans. Day, <sighs> so. That's what I'm going I mean, with. These kids can't ever pick a name. You got Shaquille Leonard, you know, who was Darius Leonard. You got, you know, Robbie Anderson is now it's, Robbie Chosen. Well, was well, Chosen Anderson. Yeah, Chosen Anderson. Is, it was yeah. Robbie with a Y to Robbie with an IE or vice versa. Yeah. Like, just choose the name. Tyrod well, two rod, and he changed his last name because he wanted it to say chosen one on his jersey. Which I mean, <laughs> if you were good, maybe, maybe. But if you're Robbie Anderson, I'm not calling you anything besides Robbie Anderson. I'm sorry, buddy. Oh man, what a what a ridiculous generation that we are currently <laughs> seeing <laughs> unfold before our eyes. Uh, just choose a name and stick with it. Um, he comes in, he starts the game which was a disaster from the get-go because he yeah. gives up two sacks and they didn't put they put one of his sacks PFF did put one of his sacks on Andre Dillard which is not Andre Dillard's fault and so the, both of the faults according to O-line expert Ryan Watson and Superhorn are on Xavier Newman now Andre Dillard did give up two other sacks that yes. are his and so he's up to two sacks three pressures on the season because uh, he didn't give up any other pressures, but sacks, which is very odd. So like yeah. one, no sacks, all pressures <laughs> and week two, all sacks, no pressures, you know, like yeah. back hits and hurry. The balancing of the universe. There, there was a lot of that in this game. There was, uh, if you, if you look at the, I've been doing this stuff at stacking inbox.com where I, at the end of the week or at the end of the game and start of the week, I put up the replacements, you know, how they're all faring and replace people. So like, Right now, we're we're in Dennis Daly's zone uh, for <laughs> a week two because that's when he came and played. And the man, it was looked really bleak week one, right? Like Taylor Lewan played last year, week one. Andre Dillard played this year, and they kind of looked, you know, looked way bad. Then he, man, once you insert Andre Dillard in there, they got really close together <laughs> because basically you're averaging it out, right? Taylor Lewan plus Dennis Daly averaging all out, and man. Dennis Daly really affects the curve for the uh, 2022 Titans. You just, you always know how bad he is, but when you start looking at the data again, man, he was just really piss poor. But Andre Dillard is, is the weakness on the offensive line. We've, we've known that he was the biggest question mark on the offensive line, but Ryan Tannehill still performed really well against the Los Angeles Chargers defense, which on paper has all the talent in the world. The only problem is the man holding the play sheet is a moron. Yes. Well, and and they also, and I think this goes into the offensive line analysis here too. Joey Bosa only played, I think, 19 total snaps in this game and was super effective, had two sacks and I think four tackles on 19 snaps, which is insane. Um, cause I think only maybe 12 of those were pass rush, uh, snaps. So he, he was like two for 12 on, on sacking the quarterback when they dropped back to pass, which is incredible. But, um, and, and also, you know, Khalil Mack is still a big name. I think he, his play is pretty well dropped off at this point. So it wasn't the stoutest defensive line, but you know, I thought it was an okay performance for the most part by the offensive line. Um, you know, outside of that first. Those first couple drives, once they got Newman out of there, who was clearly in over his head. I mean, and look, this is like his first, I think it was his first start 
or did he start that Cowboys game last year? I can't remember. Now. I think he uh, started the Cowboys he, game. He might have. But did he, uh, that would mean that him and Dylan Radins both started the Cowboys game, right? Uh, and I don't know if that's... No, Radins was hurt by that point. Radins was he was hurt, hurt by that? I don't know yeah. why I read that somewhere that he played that Cowboys game. Yeah, no. Maybe it's the Packers yeah, he, game Radins played. So I think he Newman did play in that game, but did not start. He 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 only played four snaps last year. So this was his first like real action, um, in the NFL. So like it came at him fast. They were running all kinds of stuff over there to that side because that is clearly where you would attack if you were the Chargers. You're going to run all your games, all your exotic pressures right at the new guy who has never started a game before and Dillard, who struggled mightily last week. So it makes total sense. They ran a bunch at him. It was super effective. They looked discombobulated. Um, you know, they looked like two guys who had never played next to each other before, which they are. Um, but then I thought it was a credit to Raidens that he came in and, and settled it down pretty much immediately. It's almost mm-hmm. immediately. As soon as he came in the game, it really settled down over there. Raidens was clearly better uh, stepping in at that left guard spot, even if he wasn't, you know, amazing I, I thought he was solid um especially for a guy coming off of a acl surgery like nine months ago he, it's still crazy to me that he's even playing much less playing pretty well um so credit to him uh for coming in there and, and handling business but yeah I, I thought it was an okay performance by the offensive line they kind of protected those guys an awful lot. There was a lot of those max protect shots and stuff like that, which were some of the bigger passing plays in the game. Um, so I, they're still not trusting those guys a ton. And it, every time it felt like it got to third down, it was like almost a guaranteed sack, you know, throughout the game, even in the second half. So um, it's, it's still a work in progress, but not, not as bad as it was last year. Right. So Isn't I mean, yeah. cause that's what, we all said was the benchmark. It just doesn't need to be as bad as last year. And, you know, last week it pass block win weight was like fifth. And now it's uh 16th this, this week, which is to me, what I think what you're seeing unfold is like, there's a bunch of people, bunch of offensive lines from like 14 to 21 that are pretty much all the same in, in rankings and stuff. And to me, that's just where the Titans need to live. They, if they live in that area, then the team is going to be pretty good. And they lived in that area this week. Um, and a lot of plays developed, some uh, massive deep shots. I mean, it looked like that Ryan Tannehill was able to get in a groove and able to trust a little bit more his offensive line. Uh, you know, in week one, it felt like there was no trust there. And there were a lot of plays that worked if only he had executed them. So I thought it was a good bounce back performance. Like, I look at it with the offensive line and I know it's not perfect or anything and that, and that's fine. But like how much, how much leash because everybody's like, everybody wants to overreact to the stats. I feel like that Andre Dillard is producing or the offensive line as a whole are producing. They, they, they love their PFF grades, which are the most utterly, I repeat, I love PFF advanced stats. They, they sometimes get stuff wrong, but for the most part, they're pretty reliable. The stupid PFF grades are bad. And like, if you, if you can't unlock, if you are not paying for PFF and you're just sending overall grades, you don't know what those overall grades entail. So mm-hmm. like, 
I am so out on PFF grades. You know, I always put like, for what it's worth, here's a PFF grade because everybody, you know, people I mean, generally like it, but they're not, the it's problem, not a very good system. The problem is that for like offensive linemen, there's not like a a great stat that, that captures anything, right? Like, so it's all either you watch the guys play and you know how good they're playing just from very closely watching, which, you know, let's be honest, most fans are not watching the offensive line at all during the game until there's a sack and then they watch the replay to see whose fault it was, right? That That's right. generally how, you know, most, and, and that's fine. Like offensive line play isn't exciting uh, most of the time for most people. So, um, but PFF also becomes like shorthand for those people as far as like, that is the one metric that's out there that is digestible that people can assign to an offensive lineman. So that's what they ended up. That's what they usually end up getting judged by like everyone, every other position. Um, and I think secondary kind of falls into that category to some degree as well, just because it's, you know, you can provide the coverage stats, which I think are useful from PFF. Um, but you know, PFF only grades and this, this really turned me off to PFF grades for secondary players. PFF only grades players when they're targeted. Did you know that? Yeah. Um, they do not assign a grade to a play for a corner if they're not targeted, which means if a guy like, let's say Sauce Gardner, is playing on you know one side of the field all game, and they never throw the ball over there because guess what? Sauce Gardner is eating dudes up on that side of the ball. He's not getting any grades for that. So let's say they target him twice and he gives up two big completions. He's going to have a grade of like, 39 from PFF, even though he might have played really, really good football for 59 of the 61 snaps he was on the field. There was some game where Jeffrey Simmons, as a couple of years ago, Jeffrey Simmons went off and they gave him like a poor defender grade. And it's, uh, it has something to do with like assignments or blocks or wins on a play or something like that. And I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm never listening to PFF grades again. And you brought it up uh, because we were talking about Trevon Wesco, but Dr. Gibby, is the highest rate defender and does that really great translate to what you've seen on the field and his impact the, on the field? I believe he's the highest graded player on the team. Right okay. Now. Like, there come on. Games. That's how you should know that what the PFF grades really do not translate to what reality is. Now all the events, that's really great. PFF rant over. Um, what were we even talking about? Oh, we're still talking about the offensive line. Um, Really, he's really great in the run blocking game, right? Like Andre Dillard. Um, he's really he's been great, so shockingly good in that yeah, respect because I did not expect that at all. I, all over his Eagles tape, I thought he was a leaner, yeah, and just like not a guy that was gonna fire off the ball and move anybody. And he's done that, he's been really good. I thought the offensive line, I mean, has been really good the, run blocking compared to last year by yeah. far. I mean, I tweeted it during the game that I was like, I, I hope they stick with the run right now because they were getting a lot of push up front. And it's only a matter of time. If you're moving that line of scrimmage, you know, two or three yards off the ball every play, that eventually you're going to get that displacement and, you know, the back's going to find a crack and be gone for, you know, 50 yards. So I felt like they were close to popping some runs there, uh, especially in the second half as that Chargers defense seemed to wear down a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think the offensive line has been really good run blocking. Uh, so the so question far. is like, how much of that gives, how much of a leash does Andre Dillard have 
because of what you're talking about, which is he's really good at the run game. And you know, this team really loves its run blockers. And I want to hear your opinion because my opinion is, is that I don't want to think that it's like a Dennis Daly situation, you know, because we, we seen them pull Xavier Newman out of a game and typically they just let those guys play until halftime, but they pulled him like fairly quickly. So I don't know if this is a new regime where we are a new process that we have to be like, okay, well, if Andre Dillard isn't looking good by the bye week, it's a good time to replace him with either NPF, Dylan Radins, Jalen Duncan. I don't know. Maybe and I because I don't think they move Skaronsky over, but I kind of feel like because he's such a good run blocking uh left tackle, I don't know. I mean, like I'm kind of thinking it buys him a lot of leeway, right? Buys him some. I, I I mean, look, Dennis Daly was an okay uh run blocker as well. That's why he stayed in the lineup for as long as he did, was that he was he was fine. Yeah, but Andre Dillard is way better than Daly. Dillard's been better than Daly both, through the first aspects. two weeks. Uh, eh, I the pass blocking's been bad. I mean, look, if you look at Daly's, I know Daly, like people almost you can't say anyone is worse at football than Dennis Daly. It's like become that extreme now. If you I don't look know, at the numbers, I Trevor Penning's pretty close. <laughs> and Penning was bad. Penning was absolutely terrible. Uh, it's amazing how different Arden Key looked against uh, Sean Slater versus Trevor Penning uh, two weeks in a row. And that's not a shot at Arden Key. That's just Rashawn Slater's really, really good, and Penning is really, really bad. Um, so if you look at Daly's numbers over the course of last season, he allowed 52 total pressures. Um, obviously Dillard's at nine right now. So he's on pace to be only significantly. Be no, it's, it's six non sack pressures, right? Cause he had no. six, uh, did he have, six I'm looking at total. Team? He had six, I think it's six hurries. Maybe, um, uh, maybe I just screwed up on my math and my memory. But yeah, he's at nine. He's at nine total pressures. Uh, daily finished with 52. So he's on pace for more there. He's on pace for more sacks allowed too. Now, look, I'll, I'll even give, uh, uh, what's his, what's his name? Uh, Dillard, all the D names here, give me trouble. Uh, I'll give Dillard credit for the fact that one of those three that he was credited for on Sunday should not have been his for sure. So we'll give him two through two weeks. That's on pace for obviously 17. Uh, not hard math there in Diller or daily allowed 12 last year. So he's on pace to give up more. Now I but will we see know. it's small yeah. sample size. Like, you know, I think he looks better just generally. If you watch him, he can move and stuff like that. You know, daily couldn't move and also would get destroyed by bull rushes. So Dillard's problem is he just gets destroyed by bull rushes, which by the way, miles Garrett is going to shove him like, three yards deep into Tannehill's lap on every single play next week. And that is the matchup that scares the shit out of me. Um, and will keep me up at night all week, just thinking about what, how are they going to possibly com- contain miles Garrett uh, given their tackle situation. But I, I think Dillard will prove to be better than Dennis Daly, but I'm just saying so far it's been bad enough that it is like a conversation. Um, so I, I don't know. It, I, I think the leash, though, to answer your question, like kind of depends on what Dylan Radins looks like. And if Chris Hubbard keeps playing well at right tackle, 
when Nicholas Petit Frere comes back, does do they look at Petit Frere at left tackle? Do they I brought that up know? on Robbie and Rick's road on Tuesday? I was like, I, I mean, they got options. I mean, there I are guys. If any yeah. of the options are necessarily better than Andre Dillard. Yeah, I mean, that's um, it, that'll be an interesting thing to watch because I, I still think Raiden is going to end up starting on this offensive line somewhere. Now, they might not, you know, look, two games is what it is. And they could be looking at and saying, yeah, but we know Dillard is a better tackle than Chris Hubbard. Like, we just know that. And and regardless of how well Hubbard has played in two games, they we, they also know they've helped him a lot with chips and alignment say, and things like that. I believe Hubbard's gotten a little lucky because he has yeah. five blown blocks and none of those have turned. I think only one has turned into a pressure. So he's got four blown blocks in passing that have not turned into any kind of pressure. And I think he's just, it sounds like to me that Tannehill just got the ball right before he needed to, or got yeah. the ball away right before he needed to. So I think Hubbard's a little like a uh, mascara on a pig. Yeah. I think it's a little smoke and mirrors right now yeah. going on with his performances so far. Um, so it but, wouldn't surprise hey, me if they decide. You know, yeah. Sometimes, you know, smoke and mirrors is all you need. Yeah. I mean, it, it can get you by for a few games, right? I mean, there's, there's been moments where we've been fooled into thinking a, a poor player is better than they were based on a couple games too. So what I hear, here we go. We got QC Hawk and I know pretty boy Lipschitz is, is in here as well. Uh, both the trashing Trevon Wesco saying he's been bad too, which is not true. He has, yes, I will say this. His penalties have to stop. He's yeah. got two crucial penalties, one in each game. He's got to stop. But as far as blocking goes, he's been really good. He He's allowed zero pressures whatsoever. He's only had two bad blown blocks, and those were both in the run game, zero in the passing game. And he's played, that's two out of 36 run blocking snaps. I, I don't understand where the Trevon Nuesco hate is coming from outside of the fact that he has two penalties, which you cannot have. The the penalties in the drop, right? Like, I mean, yeah, that's... Yeah. I just literally went through and just said that he's not a bad run blocker and Pretty Boy Lipschitz still saying that he's a bad run blocker. Probably because of PFF I, grade. And I don't agree that he's been bad. Now, I, I he hasn't been, like, otherworldly. He's not, yeah. like, you know, the second coming of Mercedes Lewis uh at this point or anything like that but but wesco i think has been fine as a run blocker he certainly has been better than swain was last year mm-hmm. and his track record says that he's one of the best run blocking tight ends in the league uh over the last three years so two games isn't gonna throw me off of oh they've got a bench wesco like no i i just don't think and he's been and like you said he's been better than swain which is it's all about being better than what you were last year. It's not about yeah. having the most elite run blocker of all yeah, time. Yeah, no, nobody's saying that, <laughs> you know, Wesco for Pro Bowl or anything like that. I mean, he's he's a replacement-level player. They paid him a million bucks, like, to come play, like, veteran minimum, basically. So it's not – we're not talking about, like, oh, man, this guy's amazing, but he's been fine, and, and he's a better blocker than Josh Wiley, certainly. Uh, I, I think Chig's been good as a blocker, Chig's which I thought Chig very, was good last very year. Good. Yeah, uh, Chig's been very good too. in it, and they've given him a lot. Wiley has been terrible. And maybe yeah. maybe people are, aren't really paying attention to the numbers and are seeing Wiley out there blowing blocks all the time and think it's Trevon Wesco. But for, for all intents and purposes that I've seen, when you look at blown block percentage and everything, Trevon Wesco's done really well. I, again, 
he's not Jeff Swain. And again, there is room for improvement. So when you have people that say, well, you know, Vrabel said that he wasn't like uh, happy with the tight ends in general. Why should he be? They're they're not playing to a, a level that is great. Like a coach is supposed to hold your position group and your players to a higher standard than maybe they can perform to, right? Like you want them to always be better. You never want them to be complacent. You all, That's part of coaching, part of leading. You are trying to motivate them. And there are games and points in the entirety of the tight end room for the for Tennessee Titans. It's Josh Wiley. There's Trevon Wesco and Chick all have improvements that they can make realistically. So if they're not making them, no coach is going to be happy with their performance. Like and, overall. And also say that this podcast has been, I mean, I, I will uh, anoint us the chairman of the Thomas Otakoya fan club. And sure, yeah, they could pull the you know international player pathway exception off of him at any point and bring him up to uh, to play on a Sunday. And I'd be perfectly happy with that. I think he's mm-hmm. a good player. I think he's got a chance to be like their next guy in that Trevon Wesco, you know, formerly Jeff Swain role. And maybe he will be better than than Wesco. I don't know, but um. I also don't think Wesco's been so bad that it's like, oh, you've got to cut him today or you got to bench him and, you know, bury him under the bench or whatever. Like, I think he's been fine. He needs to clean up a few pre-snap penalty things and, and catch the ball when it's thrown to him. But they aren't going to throw him the ball much yeah. either. Like, That's the other thing I mean, is, like, how many targets does he have over his career? Probably under 20, right? Like, to me, it's just you got to put realistic expectations on these players. Stop. Stop making them something that they're not. Trevon Wesco is a blocking tight end. He is not adept at catching the football. Yeah. And, 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 and listen, if he's getting targeted, that's really on the Tennessee Titans. That's not on Trevon Wesco. Yeah. I mean, he's like going to always be the last read on any pass play that yeah. he is involved in. It's like, a desperation unless, attempt. Unless they are literally scheming something up to try to catch the defense sleeping because they just think there's no way they're going to throw the ball to Wesco. We don't even have to cover them then that may be the only play where he actually is a in the read and not just a check down. So, um, yeah, it's look, back, people, people never like blocking tight ends. I know that. Um, but I don't think West has been a, a, a block, problem. Blocking tight ends allow, uh, your deep shots, you know, yes. to Traylon Burks and Chris Moore. Just want to, and he's been there. really good as a pass blocker and helping out Air with the tackles who, you know, Hey, Chris Hubbard probably owes him half of his PFF grade right now. You <laughs> yeah. know, um, they he needs to lend it to him. They need to like have a uh, shared. <laughs> they need to have a PFF grade pot where they all put them all in there. That way it helps yeah. people. Uh, but back to Dillard because we do have a couple of questions about Raidens. Let's say Dillard's projections keep trending. He's allowing anywhere from three to six pressures every game, and you're heading into the bye. And at the same time that Peter Skronsky's been out, Dylan Raidens performed admirably. Chris Hubbard has been okay at right tackle. Is there a, is there a, what's your preferred method of replacing Andre Dillard? Is it just moving a new person into that spot and taking him out? Is it moving Skaronsky over? Is it moving NPF over? Like what's your put, give me your top three preferred methods of replacing Dillard. I don't want to mess with Skaronsky at all. Um, because I think he's playing well at guard. I think he's important in there. I, I don't think you want to mess him up by, or potentially mess him up. Like maybe, maybe he could do it, but I think you're risking 
making a bad left guard and a bad left tackle happen if you move Skaronsky over. Whereas right now, I think you know Skaronsky's looked really solid at left guard, and you can do some things with him and, and trust him in there, I think. So I think you stick him where he is. That's clearly where they think he belongs long term. Um, and I think you let him continue to grow and thrive there. So I I put that at the bottom of the list for me. My preferred first choice would be Dylan Raidens, I think, because Raidens, we've seen him at left tackle before. That's all he played in college. Uh, you know, I think part of his issue moving to right tackle um, was that, you know, hey, he'd never done that before. He played his whole life as as a left tackle. Um, and it is a little bit difficult to all of a sudden – you know, everything that you usually do with your right hand, you're doing with your left and everything that you usually do with your left foot, you're doing with your right. And and it's just muscle memory stuff. Right. So I sure he's played on the right side now some, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he still feels more comfortable at left tackle. I think he even said that last year um, that that was still the comfort, the spot of, of most comfort for him. And look, when he played against the chargers last year, at left tackle for, I mean, half the half a game that we got uh, of Dylan Radens finally at left tackle before he tore the ACL. He looked good. He, he was he was fine. He was not giving up a ton of pressures. In fact, I don't think he gave up, gave up any pressures in that game. Um, I think that's the guy that I would most want to see at left tackle if Dillard continues to struggle because I, I think Radens can play left tackle in the league. I've been on that um, for really his whole career now. I I don't see any reason why Raidens can't eventually play left tackle. And it seems like maybe he's gotten some of his balance and, and stuff like that cleaned up um, because, you know, he's not falling on the ground every play like he was, you know, uh, early on. So I'd give him a shot first. And then my second choice would probably be Petit Frere at left tackle. Um, but I'm not, I'm not in favor of moving Skaronsky out. I just, you're not going to get me on that train. All right. Tennessee Titans offense looked pretty good. Didn't look great, but Ryan Tannehill had a pretty damn good game. He had like an 80% completion percentage, uh, and he was only expected, according to next-gen stats, around in the 70s, which is mind-boggling to go from that from week one to week two. It was the sudden shift that we all kind of knew was highly possible. So it's not a surprising performance by the Tennessee Titans. But what has been surprising through two weeks is the creativity and the usage of empty sets and motions and all of this, all of the things that we know that the Tennessee Titans uh, haven't utilized as much as they should the previous two years. They're back to basics, but they're doing a lot of creative things. Um. What are your feelings through two weeks? Give us a letter, letter grade. Uh, let's avoid the letter grade. Let's not let's not be those guys. Let's give me your overall thoughts on Tim Kelly versus Todd Downing. I mean, I think Kelly clearly has shown more creativity. He's broken free from a lot of the bigger gripes that I had uh, towards Downing um, during Downing's tenure here, in which. Honestly, that it a lot of the, these gripes extend beyond Downing all the way back to Arthur Smith and Matt LaFleur before him. Um, but the first down run rate, it had literally sat between 59% and 65% uh, 
all every single season that Mike Vrabel has been in Tennessee, going Matt LaFleur, uh, Arthur Smith for two years, Todd Downing for two years. So five years, it has sat between 59% and 65%, which is like either it's in the top two or three every year in the league as far as first down run rate. So the Titans turning and handing the ball to Derrick Henry on first and 10 was like one of the like easiest <laughs> predictions you can make in the entire NFL. Like it was just that, that was what was going to happen more often than not. He's perfect 50 50 right now. And I don't want him to go all pass crazy and be like 70% pass on first down or anything like that, because that's not who this team is. It's not who they're built to be. It's not who their personnel is set up to be, but a 50 50 balance to me is good. I, I like it because it's not predictable. You can get Henry, uh, you know, his touches, which are still important. Um, you can get Tajay Spears, his touches, and you can also take advantage of the fact that, that has been a Titans tendency for many years. And you can run some of those deep play action shots that, you know, keyed the two, you know, big touchdown drives uh, in this game where, where they hit Traylon Burks and then they come back and hit Chris Moore, both of them, those classic Titans max protect uh, play action, you know, two man route combination plays. And they got favorable looks both times because the defense is focused on Derrick Henry, which by the way, Derrick Henry's still getting, a ton of attention from opposing defenses at 50% uh, eight plus in the box so far this, this season mm -hmm. for Derrick Henry on his carry. So, which is easily tops in the NFL. So they they're getting those opportunities and they're actually taking them on first down, which is, is a departure from previous regimes. And I think that's, that may be the thing I'm most excited about. Um, and then there's also the, the two back stuff, which I love because it is, a clear indicator that Tim Kelly is not trying to square, like he's not going to square peg round hole it, right? Like he is willing to take what he is given from a personnel standpoint and mold an offense around it. Because if Tasha Spears wasn't Tasha Spears and, and if he wasn't a guy who's was making plays all camp was making plays all summer was making plays all preseason he wouldn't be giving him, you know, the snaps and the touches that he is. It would still be Derrick Henry, you know, over and over and over again. And there would not be two back sets on the field uh, with two running backs back there and all the, this pony package stuff that they're running. This is all Tim Kelly adapting to his personnel and figuring out creative ways to use them. And I love the triple option this week. They also ran, um, I highlighted it in my piece at paulkowarski.com. Uh, today as well they they ran this uh really interesting like orbit motion and then uh it was almost like a triple option but they faked the dive to henry and then they had um spears crossing over and running like a little flat route to a little shovel uh kind of look which the the chargers defended really well but still a really interesting and cool play concept that i think will work at some point during the season um and they also busted out this this cool uh like it's like a fullback lead swing pass, which I don't think I've ever seen anyone run before, but they had Julius Chestnut in the game in kind of an offset eye pistol formation, which, you know, his usage of pistol and shotgun and stuff like that is also way up. But uh, Chestnut kind of just runs a flare route. Henry runs the, the swing route behind him and Chestnut basically is just a lead blocker. It's like a, it's just like a pitch play, but it's a pass um, and it gets Henry out on the on the 
you know, edge in space quickly with the ball in his hands and a lead blocker. So like, I love that there, he's doing these kind of things and he's being very creative with the way he uses this personnel group. So I, I'm excited about what I've seen from Tim Kelly. And look, if Ryan Tannehill throws some better balls in week one, I think we're probably having a totally different conversation about the Titans offense generally, because it's, you know, I think they probably scored 25 or 30 points in that game. If, uh, if Tannehill hits open receivers. Well, let, let's talk about the offense and defense as a whole, before we go into the defense. Uh, QC Hawk says, not sure if you guys covered it already, but should we take Sunday as a positive for the Titans? Or was that just another Staley blowing a game because he actually sucks as a head coach? Like, I'm going to say that it is a positive sign, but it is not the defining sign. Because here, here's what's, what's happened. Because I think there's a psychological and emotional element to it that I talked about over on a football show on Monday, every Monday and Thursdays at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. I talked about how they can say and tell everybody and and deny that nobody is thinking about the seven-game losing streak that turned into an eight-game losing streak, and it's unfair and all that kind of stuff. But they all are thinking about it. I mean, it's just the natural... That's your natural tendency as a competitor to to be thinking, I need the win. They got the win. And the NFL could be very streaky. So I feel like... There was a lot of good from Mike Vrabel, a lot of good from the coaching staff. And I felt like the the game plan by the Chargers was smart, right? They attacked the left side of the offensive line and sent all kinds of exotic blitzes over that way. They attacked Trey Avery constantly. Really good game plans. And I don't know if Brandon Staley really did something, and maybe I'm just forgetting, but really did something that was egregiously dumb. But I do feel that there were times where Justin Herbert was was the one that needs to carry a little bit of the blame for their loss and not being able to overcome that. Yeah, I would agree. I, I'm not a fan of Staley as, as a coach, but there wasn't anything like crazy bad. Like I, I think he punted on a fourth down. He probably should have gone for it. Um Oh, that's right. There was that fourth and one. You're right. Um, so there was there was a, a couple things like that, and and I just think it's generally. But a I will game say this: plan thing. He he punts a fourth and one. Mike Vrabel goes for it on fourth and was a five or six. Yeah, or I think it was like six. that. And that was yeah. in the first quarter or something. And so like, yeah. both of them had those kinds of mistakes. Yeah. So I I don't yeah I don't I don't know that I would say like. Staley I don't think, we, totally I don't think the Titans were for, gifted a win, is what no, I... No, no, by, by no means. Not not in this case. Like, But I do think Staley's a bad coach, and I think mm-hmm. the, the Chargers should be better than they are, given their talent level. I don't think they do a good enough job. Game planning, scheming, putting things in place to take full advantage of some of the opportunities that they have. But that's been true of them for for the entire Justin Herbert era, or the entire uh, Brandon Staley era. Um and so I, I don't, you know, they still won 10 games last year. So it's not like this is a nothing. It's kind of true for the entire Chargers era. <laughs> well, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you go back as far as you want, really. And Marty um, Schottenheimer had that that curse. It's like, it, it's just some, it's kind of like Denver. There's just something about it. And only Peyton Manning can solve your problems. Yeah. They need to try Peyton maybe at quarterback. Um, yeah. But no, it's, uh, I, yeah, I think it was a good win. 
it, but yeah, like Zach said, I don't think it also means that like, oh, well, the Titans are fixed and now they're they're a contender. Like, I, I think we need to see a lot more. Yeah, there, there's a lot more that I want to see, but something that I felt was encouraging coming from this Chargers game was the use of Traylon Burks deep. And I just, I think we should take a quick victory lap because we told everybody that the deep threat is Traylon Burks for two years. And that will technically not a full two years, but like two football seasons. And it, and they are choosing to do it and use it that way. And it worked. And that's it. it Taiji Spears is not your deep guy. Chris Moore kind of is, but he's not really. It's always going to be Traylon Burks. Yeah. Yeah. And Burks is a real deep threat. Like, that's the thing. And people get so hung up on, and I talked about this in my piece as well this week. People get so hung up on 40 times um, for deep threats specifically. And, and it's like, if a guy doesn't run 4-3 flat, it's like, oh, no, he's not really a deep threat. Traylon Burks ran 4-5-5. He also hit 20.7 miles per hour as a ball carrier. Like, not that's not the speed he was running when he was running the route. But after he caught it and was stumbling, he was at 20.7 miles per hour. Uh, which is the 17th fastest time recorded for any ball carrier this year, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, and the fastest time for anyone weighing over, I think really like 215 pounds, I think was the the heaviest guy that was above him uh, so far this year. So he is extremely fast. He also hit 22.6 miles an hour in college at Arkansas, according to their GPS system, uh, on a, I think it was a 91-yard touchdown um, during his time there. And guess what? He also led all of college football in deep, deep receiving yards during the time yep. that he was in college. He also led all of college football in 20 plus yard receptions during his time in college football. This has been his role, the whole, his whole career. This is what he is good at. And yes, he is the deep threat and watch him. Like there's some clips too. You can find them. Uh, there's a clear out route that he's running against the Bengals last year. Um, where he's clearing out for somebody uh, underneath. And he just turns on the Jets, and he is flying. Like, he doesn't have the great stop-start quickness. Like, he's not like Tyreek Hill or, or anything like that. But he has, once he gets built up to speed, he's as fast as anybody. And, and I mean, he is able to run by, and you saw it in this game. Like, he got to build up because they were playing off coverage with Asante Samuel Jr., and he just flat-out ran by Asante Samuel Jr., um, so I think Burks is a weapon in this kind of stuff and they need to use that as much as possible because he is the perfect guy. Cause you can put him on the field for everything. You can still find other ways, ways to get him the ball, but he can also give you that take the top off the defense kind of, uh, you know, player, which opens up all the Deandre Hopkins and Chigakonkwo stuff over the middle. And, and when Kyle Phillips comes back, all the Kyle Phillips stuff underneath, and the oh, yeah, Tajay Beer stuff, you know, there's so much stuff that that's going to open up for them in this offense as they utilize that more and really make it a threat that defenses have to prepare for. So I'm super encouraged that he made that play, and I hope we see a lot more of that moving forward. Only two more games until wide receiver three Kyle Phillips is back in the lineup, and I'm pretty that's excited right. about it. I think that's going to yep. be really interesting and open things up because he's not a one-down player like uh, your friend – Tyler at Tic Tac likes to beat the you know the table for that. He's the just a one down player. Yeah, only he's only a punt returner. returner. He's only a one down player. He's a multiple down player, as seen by the evidence of Week One last year. 
which is the only evidence that we have, unfortunately, by the way, which is the only evidence that we have. And I'm very tired of talking about week one. I would love for him to stay healthy so we could talk about his usage more. (laughs) Um, One quick thing. They've been terrible on second down, Mike, and I'm sick of it. They are terrible. On it's kind of the down. offset of first down because they've been incredible on first down. Incredible on first down. down. They're incredible on first down, terrible on second down. But I have a solution, and I wrote about stackingtheinbox.com, and here's the solution. More Chig on second down. Because on the two times he's been targeted on second down, he's gotten six yards, which puts you in a favorable, typically, if you take that average and take their average to go, you are left with because their average to go on second downs is 8.4 and they've been on, on pass plays. They've been only gaining, um, uh, where is it at down here? They've only been gaining 3.9 yards on pass plays <laughs> on yeah, second down. Bad. It's been horrible. And then that means you got 4.5 yards to go. So if you target Chig, you get at least around 2.4 yards to go, which you can finally bring in Derrick Henry because guess what? They're so far behind the sticks. Derrick Henry has only been on the field for one attempt on third downs. He's yes. only gotten the ball once, only touched it once on third downs. That's very unlike this team. Now listen, that's not take away from Tajay Spears and what he's been able to do. By the end of the day, they gotta fix the second down because this is not how you can win games in the NFL at a at a successful level that you need if you want to be considered contenders for anything. AFC South, AFC Division, Super Bowl. It does not matter. You cannot go through life being and you cannot go through life living on third down success because they've been terrible at third down success too. So it's just like a chain reaction. It's like they have Stockholm syndrome. They just are, they've been kidnapped by third. They're held captive by third downs and they tricked themselves into believing that they actually love third downs That third downs are great when they've been terrible for since like 2021 under Todd Downey at third downs and at converting first or second downs into first downs. Yeah. 100%. I mean, they, they've got to be, I think they've got to, They've almost switched first and second down uh, this year. That they're they're being more aggressive on first down and more conservative on second down. Yeah. And look, I oh, I do crazy. I do understand that it's um, you know, you've got to you've got to get the the carries in there somewhere, right? Like you got to get the handoffs in there somewhere. But you you also can't just continually do something that's not working. Um, so the the, the Titans need to get a little bit more aggressive. I agree. Like the, you can't don't play for third down. And that's been a, a gripe of mine about this team for so long um, that I can't even remember when it started that you don't like third and short is not a good thing. Third and short, third and anything is a bad thing. You want to get first downs on first and second down like that. Th- that is what good teams do and good offenses do. So don't, don't be trying to say, all right, we can get to third and three here. You know, it, that's not a goal that that try to get the first down every play. Like that is that is what I think the Titans have to like adjust their mindset to if they want to become a great offense. All right. NWI wide receiver one. Right. Is that where we're at right now? Uh, he's wide receiver one on the team. No, but he's, I, I, he's I think this is, here's the thing. And because this comes again from QC Hawk as well, who has been very active in the chat and provide us a lot of topics. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Good comments. But. Um, 
you know, we talked about that, you know, with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, NWI is slotted as your wide receiver, wide receiver uh, four, wide receiver five. Now, technically, uh, once Kyle Phillips got injured, he bumped up to wide receiver three, and he's performed really well. And he obviously has a trust of Ryan Tannehill, but obviously they've schemed plays where he can be open because nobody believes in Nick Westbrook-Kine probably as a defense. Like, they're probably not, you know, game planning for the NWI Red Zone Express coming through their their, uh, field. So to me, it's like, this is kind of what we talked about, that when you sign someone like DeAndre Hopkins, everyone is properly slotted to their rightful place, and he is benefiting and being produce productive because guess what? He's not the wide receiver two. He's not the wide receiver one. He's seeing favorable coverages across the way. This is exactly what you want. And I just feel like everybody's got to, you know, get props, give some props. Yeah. As, I mean, as a long time NWI defender, because I, I've always said like, it's not like he's terrible, right? Like he's not good enough to be your wide receiver one. He's not good enough to be your wide receiver two. It's not his fault that the Titan ended up in the position where he had to play those roles the last few years. And I feel like he's gotten an un- unbelievable amount of hate from this fan base over the fact that like, he's just a pretty good, like rotational wide receiver who, by the way, blocks his ass off, who, by the way, will play on special teams and do the dirty work, who, by the way, is wildly trusted by this coaching staff because he puts in the work to understand and know all the entire offense and how to play all three wide receiver positions. He has all these traits that are awesome. Um, now he's never going to be a four, four guy. He's never going to be like a great separator. Uh, he's not even going to ever be a, a really great contested catch winner, but can you put him on the field and trust him to get a job done? Absolutely. Absolutely, you can. And that is valuable in a league where, like, I mean, we remember the Taewon Taylor experience, right? Like, Taewon Taylor was fast. He could make Your plays. Boy. He was exciting. I fell in love with all that. But you, you couldn't trust him. him. You couldn't trust him to be in the right place in, on the field. You couldn't trust him to do, you know, the right thing. You couldn't trust him to block. You can't play a guy like that. And that's how why Taewon Taylor's out of the league and, and NWI's here. Still making plays, still being involved in the offense. Um, and look, he's been a massive success story for this team. He was an undrafted free agent wide receiver, the player that we always fall in love with during training camp, during preseason. And he's made good. He's made he's made as good as any, likes <laughs> as any undrafted wide receiver that this franchise has ever had besides Drew Bennett. I'll put NWI's career up against all of them and and nobody likes him. And it's baffling to me. And and people just talk so much shit about him and I feel bad for him because he seems like a great guy. And like, I I'm, I'm guessing he right, just Braden loves him because he, he Braden's all like Braden's locker room interviews always sent around NWI saying something because he's the only guy. I think Braden may be the only media member that ever goes and talks to him at these. Uh, uh, I mean, the he's a likable guy. Like he should be a very popular figure on yeah. the Titans with this fan base. And he's just not for whatever reason. I hate it for him because he should be extremely popular. My, my thing is, is like, um, like you talk about, he's reliable. He's not explosive. He's not great, but he's reliable. I mean, I've never really, I, I've always had the issue of the, it's just that the Titans didn't have good depth in front of him, right? And, you know, he, a lot of people were getting mad because he was getting all these snaps on on Sunday. And I'm like, yeah, but 
DeAndre Hopkins is obviously on a pitch count. Like, did yeah. you guys think that DeAndre Hopkins was going to be full go? Uh, I do have a little bit of issues while we're on this topic, and I want to circle back to the offensive uh, coordination and all that kind of stuff. A lot of plays where both Burks and Hopkins weren't on the field, supposedly. Yeah. I, I have not come back and watched the tape, uh, the All-22. But, and it's hard to tell from the broadcast angle, but uh, Superhorn has said that there's just too many chunk plays, a chunk set of plays where they're, neither of them are on the field. Do you, do you, what do you think about that? Is that just a personnel decision? Is that a... From a standpoint of we want to attack the defense this way, and we feel that these these set of eleven give us a better better uh, success to attack the offense in a certain or attack the defense in a certain way. I think some of it is probably goes back to the Hopkins um, pitch count issue, um, as far as especially last week. Um, but I do think that there's something too like. I think they want to rotate these guys a little bit, keep them fresh. I don't think they want Hopkins and Burks playing like 90% of snaps, um, which, you know, I know some teams do. Um, but again, if you're going to ask Burks to run, you know, 22 plus miles an hour on a clear out route, you know, 60 yards downfield, you're going to need to take him out after that, right? Like you got to give him a playoff so that, that he can catch his breath, get his legs back underneath him. And he's not tearing a hamstring because you asked him to run you know, four clear outs in a row um, and he was gassed and, and, you know, <laughs> breaking down physically. So I think there's, there's some element of that, that, you know, they want to have NWI, they want to have Chris Moore, you know, in there for some taps. I agree that like, I feel like Burks or Hopkins needs to be out there most of the time. Now there can be some plays where, you know, maybe you've got those other guys in there and you're running something that, you know, is more schemed. Uh, and not as reliant as reliant on those guys getting open or or being able to make a play against tight coverage. Um, I think that's fine. Like you know, you're gonna have some like package plays where you can put those guys in, but obviously you've got to kind of pick your spots where you can get them out and get them rest. And and you're gonna want them in there for third downs for sure, especially Hopkins. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's okay for them to rotate some. Now, I mean, right now for the season. Burks leads the Titans wide receivers in snaps at, at 99 NWI has 95 and Hopkins has 88. I think, I think those are probably flipped between NWI and Hopkins. If Hopkins didn't have the ankle issue. Um, and then Moore has 39, which I, honestly, I'm a little surprised that Moore has so few snaps compared to NWI. Cause I, I think Moore is a good wide receiver. Um, not, not a great wide receiver. And maybe good's too kind too. He's a fine wide receiver, right? Like he's fine. Um, but he made a great play in this game. Like that route, I I, I detailed that out at, at on my piece for Polkowski.com as well. Um, but the way he bent that route out to stack the corner and give Tannehill the widest throwing lane possible so that Tannehill didn't have to shape that ball in he could just throw it out there and let Moore go get it because he did a great job of stacking the corner. And it's like those little savvy veteran details like that, that make a guy like Chris Moore effective and make a coaching staff trust him on plays like that. Um, and I thought that was a phenomenal play. And I, I hope Moore gets more opportunities here moving forward based off of that play. I, I think you can keep those guys fresh 
without making it a, a situation where Hopkins and Burks just are not being used enough, right? I, I think it's a right. delicate balance, but I don't think they're totally but out of whack. It, right it also goes to the part of creativity and and trying to mix things up, you know, trying to keep, oh, team, oh if it's just Nick Westbrook-Akine and two tight ends on the field, well, they're obviously going to run it. And then you go and pass from it and all those kinds of stuff. It's just, just all a part of that. Yeah. Uh, we're still talking about the Chargers game. Uh, Arden Key silent, but that's okay. That's just kind of how this defense is going to work. Uh, if one guy is silent, there's probably another guy making noise, and that guy was Jeffrey Simmons. Danico Autry had a few good plays, but I want to talk about Harold Landry. He has a sack. Is he the slowest person on? Is Tier Tart faster than Harold Landry right now? <laughs> there's some painful moments watching him drop into coverage. I'm like, oh, buddy. It, it, it just looks so different than it did. And when you're, and let, let's say something about this real quick is that when you're in a three four, right, and you, you're you're rushing four, that means that one of the others outside linebackers has to go out in coverage if you're only rushing four, which this team likes to do. They don't like to blitz; they like to rush four. That means isn't Arden Key is the choice out of the two right now that you send to threaten the 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 quarterback, which means that Harold Landry has to play in coverage. Now, can they devise plays that avoid maybe Harold Landry being on the field in this situation, especially because they went from five in the week one to 10 coverage snaps in week two? I don't like there's an increase, but sometimes, you know, that's just how the offense called to play that you weren't, that that forces that, right? Right. Um, But man, he looked, he looked so slow trying to like run at people. And I, and I know that he's coming back from a ACL and all this kind of stuff and an injury and everything, but good Lord, did that ACL hold all of his speed? <laughs> I mean, it, it is a, a like marked difference in, in speed and agility and stuff like that. Like when he was chasing, um, God, I can't remember who, who he was chasing towards the oh, sidelines. I, God, it was so but bad. But I was like, oh, this is hurting me. Like it, it is. It, it is, looks like it, you out there running. That, did, I mean, that, that's it what it looked like. There's some lumbering going on there. Um, but, and it's sad because like Landry, that was his kind of calling card was when he right. was in space, he could really run and turn it loose and track down those athletic quarterbacks and, and things like that. And like, I'm sure that will eventually come back. I mean, you know, it, it does at some point with these guys most of the time, but it needs to be back pretty soon. Cause I mean, he's not been terribly effective uh, as a pass rusher so far. Now maybe the sack gives him some confidence and, and that was a nice rush on his part. It was, it was a little bit more of a power rush, which is mm-hmm. uh, different for him. Um, but it's, uh, you know, maybe that helps get him going a little bit, but yeah, it, it's, it needs to find the, the, the nitro, you know, again, it, the, the speed is not there. Not there. How would you rate the uh, defensive backs in this performance? Now, obviously, Trey Avery, maybe he needs to be a little bit excluded from this situation or from this like assessment, but it really feels like Sean Murphy Bunting is starting to catch on a little bit, and there's still some miscommunications like from in when they're in zone coverage and passing off the wide receiver to one another. There's still some issues there, but overall... Obviously, Trey Avery takes up like 100 yards of the 300 passing that Justin Herbert had. And he took up like 
Uh, I think he was targeted like 38% of the throws went to yeah. Trey Avery. Like, I feel 18, really bad for him. 18 targets is wild. Yeah. I feel like he did okay for all of that, considering of who he is versus who he's going up against. But I kind of felt like the it doesn't, it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but it does show up in the efficiency stats. This seems to be kind of like the offensive line, an average defensive back group, with, even without the performance uh, with even without Christian Fulton and Amani Hooker on week two. But how do you kind of feel about it? Do you feel like it's a, it's a pretty good performance? Because that's kind of how I describe it. Yeah, it's pretty good. It was okay. It's yeah. Good. I mean, I, I did feel like, feel like there was times. And I, honestly, I kind of feel like their biggest issue right now is the middle of the field. Like, I, I just feel like there's too often there's guys open in the middle of the field. And I've been, I'll admit I'm a little bit disappointed so far in Aziz Alshire. I thought he was going to make way more plays, um, you know, both in coverage and, and around the box. I feel like they're asking him so to do a lot that he didn't do in San Francisco because yeah. there's not someone next to him. Like, I feel like he's being handcuffed and brought down because Jack Gibby is his starter, and that's the only guy that they're comfortable with playing at the inside linebacker position opposite Aziz. Like, I kind of feel like that's kind of like it's just dragging him down. He's got a ball and chain, and he's like sinking to the bottom of the uh, uh, the the ocean, swimming with the fish sheets. I think they're definitely asking him to do a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I would hope that that gets better and it was great in camp. So that's the thing I'm, I'm thinking too, is like, you know, it's probably not going to remain this bad um, throughout the season. Um, and this, the same goes for like, it, like Sean Murphy bunting, I feel like was like the defense's version of Ryan Tannehill where like, he was not very good in that first week, obviously gave up the touchdown to Shahid, you know, peeking in the backfield. Um, but then this game, he was great. He had two PBUs. He was, you know, sticky in coverage against uh, Mike Williams and those receivers out there. And I think McCreary has been the best defensive back on the team so far. Um, I, I think McCreary has been excellent in the slot, both in run support and uh, in coverage. And I think if Fulton, <laughs> if Fulton can stay healthy, this could end up being a pretty decent second. Fulton and Hooker, which are like the two guys that are always on the injury report. Um, and yeah, if you if those guys can stay healthy, this is a pretty good group. I thought Molden was was decent as as a full time player at safety, um, which was uh, a pleasant surprise. I thought Mike Brown um, had a had a decent game too, in in his. Uh, role basically in the Elijah Mold, Elijah Molden role. He kind of stepped up into that spot. Um so yeah, I thought the secondary was okay in this game, but yeah, poor Trey Avery just got picked on. It's bad. Uh very, 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 very bad. Um I felt so bad for him. Let's talk about this Browns team, Mike. And we're we're at the hour mark already. So Bluegrass Beverages are sponsor 50 years in serving the Hendersonville area. They are awesome. It's a fantastic store. I know that Stoney uh, went and bought a bunch of uh, seasonal beers there. They have great beer selection, great wine selection. This is a massive store. Head over to Hendersonville, Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee, 555 East Main Street. Okay, the Browns. Have the one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, bar none, in my opinion, like it's like it in terms of passing the ball, it is Deshaun Watson, Justin Fields and uh, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson are all right there who I think are just objectively terrible. And I'm about to put Kenny Pickett in there because he has looked 
terrible as well. After a great preseason, everyone was yeah. on the Kenny oh, Pickett breakout train. Man, man. preseason matters so much. Uh, <laughs> That's why Peyton Manning like went like 0-4 every uh, preseason uh, game. And the Colts did. Listen, he's terrible. And I'm so happy that he is terrible. But there's two uh, more often than not, the Tennessee Titans have decided to play with their food on defense and and really just play with their food in general. And to me, I think that you have three to four really good players on their defense. I, I would say this. There's Miles Garrett, who's elite and one of a kind, and three other, possibly two to three other really good players on defense. Their offense does not scare me what one bit whatsoever. And the one guy that did scare you didn't really have a lot of value going up against a Titans run defense. Now he has a lot of value, don't get me wrong, but like it's Titans run defense, you know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think the Browns are running on them either. You know, yeah, like, you know, especially yeah. not now. But like, even with Nick Chubb, they're going to try to run, but I don't think it's going to be very successful. But I, I, I look at this team and I'm looking at them, going, I had them winning this game in my predictions, regardless. But I really think if they if they game plan strategically to help out and neutralize Miles Garrett, I think everything else falls into place for this offense. I really feel like this is a this is a double digit win game for the Tennessee Titans, and it's mainly because there is no run game to really truly worry about, and Deshaun Watson is terrible, horrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jerome Ford. You you may be selling Jerome Ford a little bit short because I I think part of it is their offensive line, which of course they lost Jack Conklin, um, and for all the hype that people have given Dewan Jones. I'm not sure he's as good as Jack Conklin. Um, but they are good on the interior, like Batonio, uh, Pochich, and um, Teller, all solid uh, across the interior. I think Jedrick Wills is a problem for them at left tackle. I think we're back on Arden Key Pro Bowl watch uh, this week uh, over there against Wills. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a rock fight of a game because I think if you flip around to the other side, I think the Titans' offense matches up not very well against the Browns' defense because, um, like, Miles Garrett and Zedarius Smith against the Titans' tackles, both of those are problems. Um, you've got Newsom, who's turned into a really good corner. You've got, uh, obviously, Ward, Denzel Ward, who's a fantastic corner. You got a really good safety and Grant Delpit, and uh, I think Juan Thornhill is a pretty good player too. And I, I think you know Lonnie Walker Jr., um, one of the more underrated linebackers. And you got Owusu Koromo. Like they've got some dudes on that defense. Um, so I think the Titans are going to struggle to score. I think the Browns are going to struggle to score. I think this is going to be like a thirteen to nine kind of game, um, unless the defenses start scoring for themselves. So I don't know. This is. It's an interesting matchup with Chubb out to see, like, I almost wonder if that works against the Titans to some degree, you know, just because, like, the temptation to give Chubb a ton of carries would have been there. I don't I don't know that the temptation to give, uh, you know, Ford a ton of carries is going to be but the But isn't same, that a good right? thing? Don't you want the ball in Deshaun Watson's hands, especially yeah, with the defense, like what the Titans have? To me... I'm putting the Titans defense on notice. They at least need to get some turnovers this game. And I feel yes. like if they're not getting turnovers this game, 
this is a prime opportunity. They're going to have other opportunities, but this is a prime opportunity to really, to really make your mark as a defense. And that's really what I'm thinking. When I say double digits, I think that there is going to be a defensive touchdown. Like I'm, I'm probably going to put Titans anytime touchdown, put a bet on that. Um, but I feel like they really need to walk away with some turnovers. I don't have to have pick sixes or fumble sixes or anything like that. They need to generate some turnovers because this is a quarterback who has just got his eyes are glazed over whenever he has the ball. Unless he's messing with a ref, then he's going to, you know, put his hands on that ref. But and I was really worried that they were going to suspend him. I did not want Deshaun Watson suspended because I think DTR. DTR. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd be really worried about some DTR, actually. Yeah, I don't oh. want I don't want any part of that. And then maybe he's a preseason darling like Kenny Pickett too, but I don't want any part maybe. of DTR. Um but I feel like they have to walk away. And they don't have to, but they at least they they really do. They really have to start generating some turnovers because that's been a weak spot for this defense is generating turnovers. So I want them they need to be aggressive. They need to fluster uh, Deshaun Watson and they really just need they they cannot afford to let Deshaun Watson get into his one groove that he can get into uh, a season now that he's back from uh, with Cleveland. No, yeah, I totally agree. And and it'll be interesting because, like, there's there's some common knowledge, right, on both sides of the ball, too, where, like, Jim Schwartz, nobody's going to know the Titans better than Jim Schwartz right now. But then also nobody's going to know Deshaun Watson better than Tim Kelly and Mike Vrabel. Um, so I think there's definitely some – uh, familiarity, which will be interesting to see how that kind of tracks from a game planning standpoint. But yeah, I, I think Watson has been so bad since he got to Cleveland, Cleveland that it's like, uh, yeah, you really don't fear him. Now, like Amari Cooper, I think there's some fear of him um, because I think he's the exact type of wide receiver that gives the Titan secondary absolute fits. Um, I could see him having a big game, but I mean, Deshaun Watson he's not had a single good game since he arrived in Cleveland. I mean, like his best game out of the whatever eight starts that he's had there, he was 26 of 42 for 276, one touchdown, one pick. Like that's it. I mean, it's not like he's going off. Like he, he has not had, he hasn't hit 200 yards, uh, but like, Three Twice. times, I think. Did he? Did he? Has he done he, it this year? He did, well, he did it this week. He did it he this did past it. week. That's three times. Yeah, yeah. So three times uh, in eight games. So I mean, like it's he's not the same Deshaun Watson you remember from all those matchups with the Texans. That guy is not there right now. Um, it may never be there again, frankly. But I think the key um, is is just to run away, like run all the plays away from Miles Garrett's side. And I don't know if this is a good play action team are a good a good time to run a lot of play action no people are calling the play action but i don't know if miles garrett's really going to give a shit whether you're handing it off to anybody or not i think he's just going to be in that backfield so i don't know if you want to have ryan Tannehill turn his back to miles garrett at all i think you may see a little bit of a a lower uh play action percentage of plays yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they approach that because yeah that is a big risk turning your back to miles garrett and then and then having him coming from your blind side as well like that is a a turnover waiting to happen um if if you don't 
you know, if if Dillard is is shaky, which he has been, and you know, maybe you can help him, maybe you can't, but it's uh, it, that is a dangerous play this week for sure, and, and against this good secondary too. I mean, we'll we'll see if I know the Browns were pretty banged up coming off Monday night, and I, I think there's some rest advantage there too for the Titans that could help them uh, in this matchup. But man, it's uh, it, it's it's a Bad matchup, both sides of the ball for the offense, in my opinion. Holy shit. Okay, let's talk about the Chicago Bears for real quick, because this just got sent breaking. So for those who may not be familiar with what's going on, today, just today, Allen Williams has apparently been absent, who's their defensive coordinator for a couple of weeks, okay? Um, And the media is given no clarity of what's going on with him. Today, Justin Fields has blamed his poor performance on coaching and just said that out in the media, just like threw a, a grenade out there that he's bl- blaming coaching. They had uh, uh, Braxton, is it Braxton Jones? Or Braxton, yeah, Braxton Jones. Yeah, Braxton he Jones. goes on IR. Now, apparently, according to sources familiar with the situation, both Hallis Hall and Allen Williams' home, who was the defensive coordinator that I just mentioned, have been raided in connection with an undisclosed incident. Allen Williams' home was raided Sunday night after the team's week one loss, hence why he's probably not been there, and Hallis Hall was raided this morning. So all of that today, oh uh, they they had Hallis Hall was raided, uh, Justin Fields is throwing his coaching under the bus, um, it's a, guy, a player went on IR, Braxton Jones went on IR, and they're still not sure what's going on with Allen Williams. Uh, there are unsubstantiated or unsupported rumors that the FBI is raiding with the connection to child pornography. That is oh, allegedly, boy. that's from people that is unsubstantiated. One guy says, are the Bears raiding their own employees? Or are they trying to find the missing defensive playbook? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is insane. And uh, one guy goes, LOL, that offensive line just lets anyone in. Um <laughs> The Bears are uh, a total mess. They, speaking of which, mess. someone mentioned, uh, you know, bets, best bets for first coach fired this year. And and Staley, it was, it was because I had mentioned something about Staley being terrible. Um, and I think Staley is probably on the hot seat. And I, don't they, they play somebody decent this week, don't they? Um, I wanted to say they did. Who do the Chargers play? Um, uh, I'll look it up while you're talking. But yeah, so so. But my my response to that was like, yeah, I like Staley for that pick, but the one guy that could challenge him is is Eberflus in Chicago because that Eberflus. has been a disaster, and and it's this is a good development for that uh, that bet right here. <laughs> Justin Fields throwing him under the bus, uh, or throwing the staff under the bus. Yeah, it, the Bears are such a mess. And re- they're, they're- remember when uh, Justin Fields. Had like two screen passes go for a touchdown against the Titans and everyone's oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, look at the Bears. Justin Fields, Justin Fields, DJ Moore fixed passes. him. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, that was ridiculous. Uh, the Chargers played the Vikings, and a lot of people think that Kevin oh. O'Connell's on the hot seat. Apparently, that Vegas has him pretty high up on the odds. And a couple people, which I didn't like. I don't see that happening whatsoever. And they're they're at Minnesota too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if the Chargers go to zero and three. I mean, they, their bye week is week five. They've got an early bye. And you have so. Kellen Moore right there who may or may yeah. not be ready to take over, but a, 
A lot of people think out. that he could be ready, and it might as well yeah. find out in a, in a season like this. And you never know; he could provide a spark. All right, Mike, that'll do it for us. I just wanted to. This bear situation is just oh my insane. It's it's the most insane thing going on right now. This is like the Urban Meyer Jacksonville era, where just something crazy is happening in Chicago every five minutes. <laughs> um, that'll do it for us. Uh, he's Mike Kernan at Mike Kernan NFL on X. What did you ha- write today about uh, at paulkarski.com about the Titans? I wrote about Tim Kelly uh, trends from the first couple weeks that, that we've noted. A lot of stuff that we've talked about today, but I, I wrote down some of the plays in there as well from Titans Chargers. So go check it out. It's, uh, it's It was a good one, I think. Stackingtheinbox.com. We have three articles out since the Sunday game. That would be a 24 hours later review. We have a second down is an issue for the Titans offense article. And then also a what's going on with Christian Fulton and or Christian Fulton kind of handcuffing the Tennessee Titans right now. All that at secondinbox.com. Uh, Bluegrass Beverages, our sponsor, 440 Sports, a football show Mondays and Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Make sure you guys tune into that. Uh, I'm sure me and Braden are going to have some good times talking about uh, what's next for Alabama football and this weird season that they're having. That will be talked about tomorrow. We'll also be previewing the Browns game, getting a lot to a lot of stuff that me and Mike didn't get to today. But for Mike Herndon, I'm Zach Lyons. This has been Football and Other F-Words, and you have just been F'd.